0: Dealers, I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for joining us for the Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast series. This episode features a conversation we had in late December with Alex Chazofsky of ITR Economics. He takes a look at what to expect from the economy in 2020 and beyond. We're facing a slight downturn in the first half of the year, he says, followed by an upturn in the second half of the year. What does this mean for dealers? Chazofsky talks through investments you can make ahead of the next business cycle ones that will prepare your dealership for a more severe downturn expected in 2022.
1: Our expectation is that basically the economy over the course of this year has been slowing. So that means that we have still had a expansion in economic activity but that expansion was happening at a decelerating pace over time so the business cycle is what we typically like to refer to it as it peaked back in 2018 depends on which part of the economy you're talking about but if you look at the broadest measure the kind of the catch-all of economic activity that's being GDP that peaked in the summertime I believe it was June of 2018 if you look at more the industrial side of the economy, manufacturing companies, producers of farm equipment and things of that nature, that's really more tied to -to business-to-business activity, it's more tied to capital investment, and that is actually better represented by a measure that we focus on that's called U.S. Industrial Production Index that basically captures the sliver of the economy that is much more reflective of that industrial side of things. And that particular metric peaked in October of last year, but both of them have been consistently declining in their rate of change profile over the course of 2019. The descent in the industrial economy has been a little bit more robust, meaning that we are seeing those rates of change fall a little bit quicker. And uh, our expectations for 2020 are that that pattern essentially continues into the first half of next year with one important caveat. We think that Because the consumer is still in good standing, because the job market is relatively tight, we are starting to see some nice performance in terms of disposable personal income growth and wage growth. We think that the U.S. GDP will continue to slow, but won't go below year-ago levels on a rate of change basis. That means that we're going to avoid an outright recession in GDP, which is defined as two consecutive quarters of below year-ago level performance. cannot be said for the industrial economy because we are actually expecting a mild and brief recession in the industrial sector culminating in a cyclical low occurring in the mid 2020 timeframe. So for GDP those growth rates will continue to decline but stay above zero into mid 2020 For the industrial side of the economy we're seeing a little bit more downside pressure if you look at manufacturing if you look at a measure of capex or business to business activity all of those things are already starting to points to some negativity. For example, despite the fact that industrial production is currently, as of, I believe the November reading, is up 1.5%, the 312 rate of change, which is kind of a more short-term look at it, that measures quarter over quarter growth on a rolling annual basis, that's already down 0.7%, and the monthly data is even lower than that. So it's already entered negative territory on a shorter-term basis. All of that means that we've got momentum to the downside in the industrial economy. We believe that that manifests itself in year-over-year growth, turning negative in the first half of next year. And as I mentioned already, that low point occurring in the mid-2020 timeframe. So the good news is that all of that is going to be brief and mild. And by the second half of next year, we're expecting the emergence of the next rising trend in the economy. We pay attention Mm. to a lot of different leading indicators and some of them are already starting to confirm that expectations of rise we now have what we call a statistically significant analysis that shows us enough of the leading indicators have turned around that show that it is the likeliest of outcome that we have that rising trend emerge in the second half of next year so One of the indicators, and based on the question that you asked that I want to mention, is actually housing. And so housing is known to be kind of the canary in the coal mine. It typically leads industrial production by about 12 months. So it's a look into the future, Mm. kind of around the corner. And housing right now is still down year over year, kind of low single digit uh, contraction. But when you look again at the shorter term measure, the last three months of data versus the same three months from a year ago, it's now shot up into positive territory. We call that a checking point, or that's in ITR terms, a confirmation that the housing market is going to see lift over the next three to six months and that basically is a good sign that we should see some of that upside momentum develop in the second half of next year because those rates of change for housing on a short-term basis are clearly turning up. We have leading indicators that actually predict housing that we like to use better than the optimism. Optimism is a fickle thing, right? People's opinions can be swayed very easily, but we look at things like housing building permits. So, obviously, Uh permits lead... The actual housing starts, those are also up and up quite positively. They confirm our expectation that housing should continue to see that rise in activity. And all of that will kind of align with our expectation of that next rising trend emerging in the second half of next year. And then, without going into too much detail on 2021, I can say that we believe that 2021 will be the next growth year, like of real substance for the US economy. So, our main point of advice right now to businesses, I think this is getting into some of the other questions that you were asking, is you obviously have to reflect and proactively change your behavior to accommodate this slowdown that we're in right now and the mild downturn that we're expecting in the industrial sector in the first half of next year. But you cannot lose track of this forward thinking momentum. So you've gotta think half a business cycle ahead and you've gotta be putting Mm -hmm. together plans now that you can enact around that mid 2020 timeframe to position your company to take full advantage of that next rising trend that we're expecting. What I mean by that is you gotta ask yourself questions like, do I have the right people? Do I have the right capacity? What kind of equipment or CRM system or marketing plans do I need to put together now and then enact during that cyclical low that will really be a competitive advantage for me during the next rising trend and allow me to outperform my competitors and hopefully gain some market share.
2: Yeah, I wanted to be sure when you talk about thinking ahead of the business cycle, do you the business cycle six months, a quarter, what do you determine or how do you define a business cycle?
1: So our definition of a business cycle is simply kind of the sinusoidal waveform of growth rates that the U.S. economy transitions through over time. There's not a specific period of time that we look at because sometimes- you have cycles that are longer than other times. What I can tell you is that typically, just kind to give you a rough idea, the business cycle from peak to trough takes a couple of years, roughly speaking. If you okay. look at, uh, again, the last, peak in the Industrial Production Index, which is the one that I believe would be of most pertinence to farm equipment dealers. That happened in October of 2018, and we're now looking at a mid-2020 cyclical low. So in this latest business cycle transition, we've gone from peak to low, over the course of about, I would say, let's call it 20 to 22 months, something like that. The median length of period of decline can be somewhere between 12 to 18 months, depending on the part of the business cycle that you look at. But generally speaking, from peak to trough, you can say a year and a half to about, uh, really, if you look at the majority range, this is getting into some, (laughs) some specific economist talk, but majority range, I think, could be somewhere between 12 to 18 months. We have seen go longer than that but that requires something unusual to happen so what I mean by that is we saw the passage of the Tax Reform and Jobs Act back in 2017, that lowered corporate taxes, lowered individual taxes, it actually extended the rising trend in the US economy by we believe about three to six months. And so that artificially elongated the business cycle because of uh, government policy. But I would say normally you could probably be looking at about a year and a half from peak to trough. That's a, a rough approximation. That's certainly not always the case, but a good rule of thumb.
2: There's a lot of kind of talk about five-year plans and so it sounds like our dealers, as long as they're developing five-year plans, they can't forget about developing the one to two-year plans. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, five-year plans are much more broad and strategic in nature. I mean, you're talking about a completely different set of initiatives that you enact for a five-year plan than you do over the next 12 to 18 months. So I think it's really important to, a five-year plan, if I were to be planning, I would be thinking about a product roadmap. What markets do I want to be in five years from now? More on the short term, it's things like, do I have the right staffing needs for meeting capacity requirements? Where I think my production levels are going to be over the next year to year and a half? Do I have the right equipment? Was I facing capacity constraints over the last rising trend which we see many businesses that were in that position and what do I need to do right now to alleviate those constraints in order to position myself for that next cyclical rising trend in the second half of next year into 2021. Those are the type of decisions that you're talking about for a one to two year plan versus the more big picture kind of market access type of plans for the five-year strategic plan.
0: So far in our conversation, Alex Chasovsky has given us a preview of what dealers can expect from the economy. Next up, he talks through what has dominated the news today, the election and the tariffs, and why they have limited effects on the economy. He also talks about why it's so important that businesses and consumers concentrate on paying down debt now.
2: Before we look at much, much long-term, I did want to ask you about the effect of things like the election and how that will play into anything that you're watching. Have you seen kind of over history how elections play into things? Especially yeah, when it's not here, which could be volatile.
1: Right, so what I would say is there's really no correlation between the political process itself and the business cycle. And the impact of the election, while certainly will manifest itself down the road, uh, I think as far as 2020 is concerned, that's pretty much kind of written in stone. It's not really gonna have a significant impact unless you have some sort of major stimulative activity in advance of the election. What I mean by that is the president has talked about finding a way to perhaps enact uh, another middle-class targeted tax cut, we could finally see the passage of a bipartisan infrastructure bill obviously that would stimulate economic activity but the election itself is really not going to influence the economy. That's largely an independent cycle. We've looked at it and basically if you look at the performance of the economy 12 months after a presidential election. And you go back all the way to the 1950s, so about a year after the election happens, if the Republicans win the election, the average growth rate is something like 2.5% in GDP. If it's the Democrats, I think it's like 2.2%. So there's almost no difference in terms of which party takes the White House and then the resulting performance of the economy in the subsequent 12 months after that. I can tell you that, generally speaking, it's going to be much more about the business cycle than the political cycle in terms of what happens in our economy.
2: I know that it has a lot of short-term effects. Does it also have long-term effects on the economy, or is that also independent?
1: Well, I think that there's been a lot of hoopla about this phase one deal that we have seen that the president has already agreed to, but it hasn't been finalized because they're still working out on some of the wording. The, the major development that is baked into that trade deal is that the Chinese are going to be buying a lot more of U.S. exports, basically double the levels that we saw back in 2017. But the reality is it's largely going back to things that were already in place before the trade war already started. And there's really not a whole lot of addressing of the fundamental key differences, things like intellectual property protections and the enforcement of these new agreed upon rules. So we've had the position that we're not expecting major changes to the trade environment over the course of 2020. Now, there is a caveat in there that talks about if the Chinese do what they are committing to do, then we will lower one of the sets of tariffs that exists from 15% to 7.5%. But it's a relatively small portion of the overall bucket of products that are currently under tariff. So just to give you an idea, there's approximately $400 billion of Chinese Imports into the U.S. that are under tariff right now. A big bucket of it, I would say, about 250 billion, is under a 25% tariff. The remainder is somewhere around 15%. So it's that remaining 150, 120, roughly speaking, billion dollars that they're talking about lowering the tariffs from 15% to 7.5%. But again, I think that it is in line with the rest of that phase one deal, which is it's largely a symbolic gesture that things are not going to be aggravated or uh, intensified further, and it's not really going to be making a huge difference in terms of economic performance.
2: And then looking more long term, I know when we talked in the past, you were looking at 2030 and a major depression happening around that time. So how is that looking now?
1: Yeah, I think that's still very much in play. In fact, the tax reform package that I mentioned earlier only kind of reassured us that we are on the right track with our expectations because one of the things, that, and you have a question here, is there anything you're seeing in the popular media that you think is being misconstrued, overblown, or overlooked? And I continue to think that it's the debt issue and in conjunction with the changing demographics in this country that continues to receive far too little attention. We have a fiscally conservative, quote unquote, Republican Party that has lost track of cutting spending and addressing the debt. And now the focus is on stimulating the economy. And so I think it's important that you understand that the passage of that tax reform act came at a pretty significant price tag. We're going to incur, let's say, between one and a half and two trillion dollars in additional federal government debt over the next five years or so in order to fund that package. And that's assuming we don't extend the consumer tax law changes mandate beyond the 2025 time frame. So that only reassured us in thinking about the 2030s as a difficult time in our nation's economic future because our debt is so high already. We're now over $23 trillion. We're continuing to add about a trillion dollars every year, and that is expected to grow over time. So I can easily see when I look towards the, let's say 2025 timeframe, when our debt is approaching $30 trillion. And the real question becomes, what is the straw that breaks the camel back? And while debt is at historically low interest rates, the government is managing. They're paying just the interest rate portion of that debt. But you have to understand and even that in and of itself, in just a couple of years, the amount that we spent on the interest only portion of our debt is going to eclipse the total amount of defense spending that we're doing. So we're talking about massive amounts of money being spent to finance this debt. And the question becomes, At what point are we no longer able to do that in light of the major demographic changes that we're expecting, which is obviously the 40 million baby boomers that are going to be going into retirement over the next 10 years and the strain that that will put on government spending from the perspective of entitlement programs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the like. So to answer your question quite simply, our expectation for the Great Depression in the 2030s has not only remained, it has gotten stronger as a result of the tax forms package that we saw back in 2018
2: and you've brought up some consumer topics and consumers are a, a large segment of our, our dealers market so as we talked about what dealerships and businesses should be preparing for over the next year or two what should consumers be doing should they also be looking at some of their expenses looking at some of their purchases coming up what should consumers be doing in this time frame
1: well, I think that if you look a little bit further out beyond the time frame of 21, then we're talking about a downturn coming in the economy in kind of the second half of 22 and into 23, we're actually expecting a more substantial downturn than this thing that we're going through right now. It will feel likely the most negative that we have seen since 0809. although it won't be nearly as bad. It will feel that way because we've just gotten used to a decade of uninterrupted economic growth now. So my advice to consumers is it really doesn't change significantly based on what's going on in the economy, but the advice is really quite simple. You've got to make sure that you are living below your means. You've got to make sure that you're not spending more than you're earning, and that you are not only saving that money, but more importantly, putting that money to work. You've got about 10 years until that 2030s debacle hits us to develop a nest egg that will allow you to weather the storm, because there is a bright economic future for the US. On the other side of it, it's just how do you get through that aspect of it? My advice would also be to focus on paying down debt, whether that's uh, certainly variable interest rate debt, needs to be eliminated as quickly as possible, things like credit cards, but it's even beyond that. You've got to look at student loans, you've got to look at your auto payments, even your mortgage. The less debt you have, the better off you're going to be when economic environment is going to be more challenging. I think that beyond that, you've got to think about downturns as not just kind of these scary negative things, but as times of opportunity. So in order to take real advantage of the economic cycle, you want to make sure that you are doing something that is actually counterintuitive for most people, but you've got to adapt that buy low, sell high mentality in everything that you do. So when the economy is in a downturn, that's actually a really good time to be investing, especially at the low point in the business cycle. that's in your business or in your personal finances, you've got to be able to look for those opportunities and then take advantage of them because all you have to do is look as far back as 2008, 2009. If you think about it, the people that were positioned well going into that downturn, the people that had just sold a business or they had a lot of cash on hand, those are the people that were being quite aggressive during the low point. In 2009, whether it was talking about property or businesses or assets of all kinds, they were buying when everybody else was running for the hills. And if you look at where those asset classes all are today, they're much, much higher. And so you really have to take advantage of those opportunities. But in order to do so, you've got to have the assets and the means to take advantage of them. So my advice is be prudent, live below your means, not only save, but invest, and then try to position yourself to take full advantage of the downturns when they come up.
2: Well, excellent, we've covered a lot of topics. Is there anything left that you wanted to share?
1: Just looking through the questions here, it looks like we have covered everything. I think the one last point that I will make is There is really kind of a great deal of noise that exists out in the world today, whether that's political noise or the noise from all of the various competing media outlets. And it really doesn't matter if you're a Fox News person or a CNN person. You've got to question where the facts and the data are coming from. And more importantly, you've got to have kind of an independent, reliable and apolitical source of information that will cut through all that noise for you and really identify the things that are important.
0: Thanks to Alex Chazofsky of ITR Economics for sharing what the economy will look like in 2020 and beyond, as well as for sharing ideas on how to benefit from upturns and downturns. He says, to take real advantage of the economic cycles, you want to do something that is actually counterintuitive for most people. Stay tuned for additional podcasts from our experts and dealers. Our podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. And if you're not yet a subscriber to our print or digital content, head on over to RuralLifestyleDealer.com and join our community. From all of us at Rural Lifestyle Dealer, I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for listening.